Welcome to the Sportsman's Voice Podcast, your inside connection to outdoor legislation. From the beltway to policy happening your way, we're covering it all. I'm your host, Fred Bird. Join us as we explore public land access, wildlife and fisheries management, Second Amendment rights, the triumphs that shape our nation, the sports we all love, and the stories that fuel our passion for the great outdoors. This is the Sportsman's Voice Podcast. Folks, we have a great interview for y'all today with our CEO and President Jeff Crane. Uh, we're going to get into so much, the, the beginnings of CSF, where we're at today, where we're going, uh, things that are happening here and now and concerns and celebration of, of, of wins. So we're going to get to that and more right after this. That's right. This is the Sportsman's Voice podcast. I am your host, Fred Bird. Thanks so much for tuning in. Before we get to this week's guest, let us check in on the stories happening across the nation with this week's TSV Roundup. This week's TSV Roundup coming to you from our headquarters in Washington, D.C. So happy to be with you guys. So in brief, here's what's happening in the last week uh, when we work with you, uh, what's going on around the country during recess. So it's a, it's a slower time around the country, but we still have things happening. Uh, specifically, uh, bring your attention to things happening out in Michigan. Uh, the Michigan legislature returned session with sporting bills on the docket. So good stuff happening there. A package of bills that would create regulatory framework for commercial hunting and fishing guides while simultaneously uh, improving harvest reporting practices in the state uh, passed earlier this year. And it now lies in wait with the House. Congressional Sports Foundation is committed in the interest of hunters and anglers recreational shooters and trappers to work closely with the in-state partners so we know that right so good things happening there in uh in michigan and uh, once they return to lansing members of the legislative sportsman's caucus they will be tackling multiple bills uh, relevant to sportsmen and women in the great Lakes state csf worked closely with the legislators throughout the first half of the 2023 session and they're going to pick back up where the legislator left off before the recess so uh Things happening and moving in Michigan. We got an interesting uh, spot here about archery in schools program. Archery in schools program is an excellent opportunity for youth to be introduced to sporting community. No doubt. You guys know there's an estimated 14 million youth that have been the beneficiaries of the participation in archery sports in the schools nationwide. That's a pretty impressive number. Getting the youth involved in archery in school programs is an important hunter recruitment tool. And CSF is committed to supporting those R3 programs. We definitely are. And uh, there's all sorts of ways to get between our partners and uh, the nonprofit world, uh, as well as some of the, the bow archery programs in every state. There's great ways to get this up and running. So good stuff there uh, across the, the country. Getting kids into archery. Let's see what else we got here happening around the country. Last, uh, probably not least, yes, yes, school is back in session. That is right. So with uh, the end of recesses, with the end of summer, we're also welcoming back our college students uh, to your local schools. And uh, what better conversation to have about our college students and, and trying to get them in-state rates, right? I mean, the argument here is 
you got college students that are set up for most of the year. They're spending their time in state as non-residents. They're spending their money. They're they're contributing to the local economy, the community there, um, and more so than your out-of-state hunters just coming over a border, coming in for a couple of days, visiting, doing a quick hunt, getting out, not really, not really investing in that community. And that's the difference here with these college students versus a non-resident hunter. So for, for example, me jumping the border, going over to Maine or going down to Massachusetts, you know, I'm just going there for a, a quick turkey hunt in the spring, perhaps, or maybe a quick deer hunt in the fall where, you know, you got kids at UMass Lowell or you got kids in, you know, New Maine Orno, University of New Hampshire is close to me. So there's, there's great value uh, in getting these, these kids an opportunity to hunt and not break the bank. They, they're already cash-strapped in-state tuition. Non-resident fees are so high. Most of these kids are they're holding out another job to pay for their books and pay for their rent and tuition. And, you know, here's one more thing. And, and we, we cite and we know that this demographic, this age demo, is often the one that is lost. We don't get to bridge that gap. So when they leave home and they go to school, they lose that support system and their parents. And quite frankly, mom and dad probably aren't there uh, writing a check to the local fishing game for their licenses. The, you know, Johnny and Susie, they're out there, they're on their own, but they still want to hunt. They still want to fish. And here's a great way to make that happen. So there are currently 18 states still left in the in the country that don't have this opportunity. So we're going to do our best to work with our, our caucus members across those 18 states and see if we can make that happen. And, and again, bridge that gap and make sure we're getting young people to continue with their passions uh, and keep them involved with the, with those, those outdoor pursuits. So good stuff happening there. That is our TSV roundup for this week. We're going to get into our show here. We're going to welcome in our president and CEO, Jeff Crane. Looking forward to having this sit down. And uh, we'll be back in one second with Jeff. All right. Like I said, we're welcoming in CSF president and CEO, Jeff Crane. We are down here at the uh, the mothership, the headquarters office here in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. And here he is right before me. Welcome, sir. Pleasure to have you. Thanks, Fred. Great to have you down and great to be on your show. I will say that this is probably uh, one of the more appropriate spaces I've ever recorded a podcast in. There's plenty of fine uh, taxidermy and wildlife art. Normally this is uh, either in my space or I've done them in a hotel room or a hotel lobby and it doesn't really get the the the, uh, the ambiance. But we're definitely surrounded by some good flair here and feel right at home uh, having this kind of conversation. And we're two blocks from the U.S. Capitol, so we are right on Capitol Hill. Yeah, we're, so we're in the we smack. Practice what we preach, my friend. That's exactly right. Right in the thick of it. Uh, I will say, you know, coming down here, well, I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge it. We're recording this this particular podcast uh, on 9-11. And for some reason, it, over 22 years, I found myself in a plane quite a bit on 9-11. It always kind of strikes odd, but... Um, it's a beautiful day here in D.C., very much like it was 22 years ago. Blue skies, beautiful day, just people out enjoying a late summer day here in our nation's capital. So acknowledge that, and, and we're better for it, I think, 22 years ago, stronger 
Yeah, believe it or not, 22 years ago, the date of our banquet was uh, September 11th, 2001. Mm. And so uh, not only did the whole world uh, come to a stop, but it had a a direct effect on us because that was the night we were going to do the banquet. And obviously everything changed that morning. So, um, but yeah, I echo your sentiments and thoughts about uh, 22 years of remembering what happened on that fateful day. And and a lot's changed, and we're certainly going to get into that specifically about our space and what we do at Russell Sportsman's Foundation. But you said it, you know, 22 years ago, that was the night of our banquet. We're down here. It's our banquet week, so we're going to be celebrating by the time uh, the audience hears this drop. Uh, we'll already have had our, our night of celebration and 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 doing some great stuff with uh, with our partners and our caucus members coming out to enjoy a wonderful evening. So we're here. This is banquet week for for CSS. Yeah, it's super exciting. Uh, brings together the bipartisan caucus from Capitol Hill, our leaders uh, that champion our policy bills, and it brings together our partners and community and friends. And uh, it's a it's a night to recognize our our caucus leaders and thank all of our friends. And it uh, is about six hundred or so people and. Mm. Uh, folks from the administration will be there, and so it's a it's a really fun night. So uh, hopefully it all goes well this year, and by the time this airs, uh, we'll have had a successful evening for sure. Outstanding. So I want to I want to start from the beginning. So we we got you current events here where we're literally at with our audience, but you know let's let's rewind the tape here. I want to talk about. The beginnings of Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, who we are, where we started, how we got to where we're at, and a lot of it you, you've been here for, almost all, uh, I think all of it. No, I haven't been here for all of it. I joined in uh, 2002, so it was 13 years already preceding me, but uh, I am pretty familiar with the history of it. It was founded by two members of Congress. Congressman Dick Scholes, a Republican from Pennsylvania, and Congressman Lindsey Thomas, a Democrat from Georgia. And Dick had the idea that there are all kinds of caucuses in the U.S. Congress, but there was none for the sportsman's community. And as an avid outdoorsman, he thought that would be a good idea. And the first thing he did was went to his friend Lindsey Thomas, crossed the partisan political aisle, had that vision to create a bipartisan caucus. And from there, it has grown into the uh, largest, most active bipartisan caucus in Capitol Hill. So that that's the humble beginnings. And, and uh, we are recognizing 94-year-old Congressman Dick Scholes, former Congressman Dick Scholes, and 80-year-old former Congressman Lindsey Thomas with our highest award, our Dingle Young Award, mm-hmm. on Wednesday night for having that vision and having the forethought to think we needed a caucus for sportsmen, and it had to be bipartisan. And they made it, then quickly went across to the United States Senate and made it bicameral as well. So It's incredible foresight, I think, you know, going back so far and to kind of where we're at today. Thank God. Yeah. I mean, perhaps back then, I... Our traditions, our sporting community probably didn't have the amount of attacks that it has today. The challenges we face today, the work that our team and our, our organization uh, encounters, 
almost daily. I don't know what you attribute that to. If it's it's a hyper megaphone with social media, 24-hour news cycle, this our community is constantly in the face of people and there's opportunity to engage with it positively and from a negative side, people coming in and attacking us. You think back to the early 90s, you know, what you were going to deer camp, you're going to a duck blind and probably no one else thought the wiser of it. I think back then people were still riding around with shotguns in their truck right. to high school and then going deer hunt after right. school, right? Exactly. And so, so yeah, for them to to think about this and, and recognize that, that, uh, that these were not, def- you know, hunting and fishing is not defined by a partisan label. And to, for them to have that foresight to think about this, it is serving us unbelievably well because, to your point, I think things have definitely gotten more, more viscerally partisan. And, and this is one of the few places where you can check that at the door. Who doesn't want uh, conservation of our natural resources? Who doesn't want people to get outside with the right safety measures, you know, and the understanding of where hunting and fishing fit in, you want kids to do that. And it is still to this day not defined by partisan labels. And so for Dick and Lindsay to think about that way back when was really visionary. It's it's a great point to drive home. And, and this audience is going to, as I said in, in our intro episode, you're going to hear that from me a whole lot, that theme of this bipartisanness that is in our community that I, Kind of hate that I have to point it out because we used to have regular decorum. You could hang out with your buddy who, who saw things, you know, one side of the aisle and you saw things on another side, of, but you could talk. You were human beings, like you were still friends or family. You didn't have this, this extreme, like you said, visceralness that you couldn't go to church with your own family or sit down and have a meal with your own family because of your beliefs. Right. And, and, you know, the, I, I think you're exactly right. I think it's just been hypersensitized by the fact that we've got all these these newer ways of communicating, and and ours provides the the combination of the foundation and the caucus provides a actual venue where people can sit down. They're gonna they're gonna be all together in the banquet room, having a meal together, bidding on hopefully bidding on auction items, but change you know talking about their summer fishing and what they're getting ready for in the fall. It's the, the same old stuff that, that all of us as sportsmen and women get excited about and look forward to sitting down with our friends. Mm-hmm. And we, we provide that venue for people to come together and check that partisanship at the door because it has no place. We've certainly done ourselves a disservice as a, as a society, as an American populace as a whole, by establishing and putting and pigeonholing people into these these square check marks, you know, if you're if you're to the left, then you have to be uh, an extreme environmentalist, and you know that's your only concern. And we, you know we're worried about everything that comes with that. And if you're to the right, you, you want to pollute the air and pollute the water. This is the the memes that were created over time, and it couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, I forget who I heard recently, but they were just so surprised that. You know, they had to make the point that outdoorsmen, American sportsmen, left and right and the center all want the same thing. And they were remarking that the point we're making that they're the one group. We are the one group that you can actually look at today in 2023 that gets it. And it, and it throws people for a loop that someone center right would, you know, advocate with a, a Democratic legislator in their state for 
clean water or, you know, conserving certain land because of conservation, proper conservation. It's a, it's an unfortunate spot that we've gotten ourselves to, but I think, and I, well, I know that our community is the example. Yeah. And, and you look at some of the votes that these caucus folks, both sides of the political aisle drive and will, will, will win votes with 90 plus percent of, of the Congress getting behind them, urban and, and rural. When you realize we're tying this into to healthy environments, we're tying this into youth and the, the positive aspects of getting people outside and, you know, some of that, that silver lining to the COVID that, you know, we mm-hmm. got people outside and rediscover. Hunting and fishing are obviously, you and I know, is two, two great things, along with recreational shooting, trapping, all the components of an outdoor lifestyle that are just incredible ways to bring yourself down, check out of this digital social media environment and, and really reconnect. And it's, it's got mental health, physical health, all the good things that go along with it. This is just an extension of that into the policy arena, and it resonates. And that's what we're very fortunate to have this big bipartisan caucus, people that appreciate that. Yeah, and it's the voice we have the access we have, the partnerships we have is, is really like no other in, in the sporting community. It's us getting things done, um, often in a very quiet way. But um, with this here particular program, we're going to tell you more of those stories and, and not be so quiet about it because the work that's done, that gets done by this team with your leadership, uh, it's, what, it's what's going to keep us going into the future. That's my vision. That's what we're doing, and uh, you know, uh, I thought about that when I had this opportunity to to take on this job, and and uh, I've been steadily building it and adding people like you and your colleagues as as future generations to carry the torch when when it's time for me to step aside. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's exactly right, and and uh, it's a it's a powerful tool all the sporting constituency to have the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, both here in Washington and probably more importantly at the state level. Agreed. As there's 50 states and a lot of the decisions that affect hunters and anglers are actually made at the state level. And so the work that you and the rest of the, the folks at the state program team do is is fundamentally important for for the the future of hunting and fishing yeah no doubt and i i'm gonna put a pin in that i want to come back to that you sir i want to you had a great segue there about you know your vision and you know what brought you to csf we kind of talked about your being here for for the time you have but what 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 brought you to this space good fortune yeah little luck yeah timing is everything um that's consistent i think for a lot of us uh, in actual fact, I started when I first got out of Congress or got out of college coming and working in the United States Congress as a staffer in the early to mid 80, mid late 80s um, during Ronald Reagan's presidency. So I'm dating myself. But so I had the, the policy experience, took a long and circuitous sort of a career path um, that included eight years of living in Africa and came back and always have been, uh, thankfully have been an active outdoorsman, loved to hunt and fish. And, uh, 
was uh, was working in another job trying to get a political appointment in the in the Bush 43 administration. And a friend of mine was here as the policy director at the foundation. He and I, funnily enough, were vying for the same job. He got yeah. When he stepped clear of this, I thought, well, you know, I'll ask him if he could put in a good word for me. And, uh, you know, like I said, good fortune. And I got an opportunity to be here. And once I hit here, I thought, man, this is really a chance. We were a very small organization at the time. Our sole focus was to support the caucus in the United States Congress. We had no state efforts or anything. So we were singularly focused. But I thought, you know, I've got a I've got a tremendous platform to build from from here, and uh, that was in 2002, and uh, I haven't looked back. That's pretty incredible, and the amount of time that you took it over, and then to look where we're at today, and the infrastructure that's in place, and going back to the state level, where a lot of the yeoman's work is getting done, the important stuff happening in people's backyards. That's pretty incredible. You think about it. I know you've thought about it. I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, that takes a lot to get there to establish those relationships. You just don't implant people in, in backyards and say, okay, go advocate for this and, and go make it happen on your state capitol. It just doesn't work like that. And that's a remarkable testament. Well, to- I, I appreciate it. But as you know, it's a team, totally a team effort. Uh-huh. Um, I had a thought about that. Um, recognize the opportunity, recognize the challenge. Like you said, you know, there were a handful of states that did have state legislative sportsman's caucuses. And some of those states even had an in-state kind of advisory group that Mm. was supporting them. But there was no effort to kind of duplicate this, connect them all together, create the National Assembly of Sportsmen's Caucuses. So we set about to to actually build that and formally launched it. We actually met with legislators, kind of cherry-picked some legislators in 2002 and 2003 to ask them to give us feedback. And we held various meetings for multiple days, talked about how this might work, how this might look, uh, and then formally launched it at the end of 2004, so 15 years after the formation of the caucus in CSF, we took that big step to launch the National Assembly of Sportsmen's Caucus. And, you know, it was a daunting task on launch day. There was a lot of excitement, you know, and then the reality was, wow, this is going to be huge to try to get 50 states and get bipartisan caucuses in all 50 states. And it has taken us, you know, where the last state finally came about in 2022. So it took us 18 years. So it was a lot of work. Uh, But, you know, uh, going back to it, had a board that supported the vision, hired really uh, sharp people that shared the passion, shared this idea that this is something we can do. And there were a lot of naysayers in the early days that just thought I was crazy, that CSF was crazy, and, you know, that was all the, all I needed to put fuel in my tank, tell me I can't do something, yeah. and uh, I'm going to go do it just to show you <laughs> that I, that we, we can, not I can, that we could do it. Yeah. I'm very, very proud of where CSF has come. I'm proud of the team. Uh, that has been here and the team that is here now, and I think uh, we've got some of the brightest, hardest working people that are passionate about this. And I think we're, you know, we're at a launch phase to only get better and stronger. 
it is incredibly humbling, and I've already said this <laughs> on to this audience. I'm going to repeat it again. Uh, the talent, the 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 mental fortitude of this this team is is humbling to be a part of. Like folks that are many years my junior, that you know, I I sit there and I'm sitting in awe of some of these young people that that are on our team and just the leaders that they are, the the leadership that they they demonstrate when they speak. It's it's just I'm just I'm just at a gas. I'm just I just sit there with my mouth that gave like these kids kids. That's not polite to say, but these young people they've got it in spades, and it's and it's fun to watch and listen. And I sit there with my pen and paper and my pen, and I take notes because they're just they're so smart. And uh, yeah, it's it's an awesome team. Well, Fred, you're you're a kid to <laughs> sure for, to me, but uh, no, I I am I am equally impressed, and and I just think that that everybody just um, you know comes in here with the right attitude um we're we're rigorous in terms of deciding who gets to have an opportunity to work here and as you know from being here we we set a high bar we yeah. have high expectations we work hard uh and then we play hard and go outdoors and enjoy the fruits of our work but uh, uh it is something that uh is kudos again to to all the people and the, like you said, the diverse talent. We have wildlife biologists, fishery biologists, foresters, lawyers, um, people with diverse backgrounds mm -hmm. that just come together to really bring expertise that is unparalleled. Uh, with all due respect to uh, to all the other organizations out there, they just don't they don't have this, and so that's one of the things that sets CSF apart. Yeah, it's 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 a awesome grouping of folks and to have so many of them out in the states like we were just talking about with the states program team it's it's again it kind of keeps the the outdoor community afloat it keeps our ship going in the night because you know things happen in the west typically and they start to work their way east or you know it could happen in my region in the northeast and then it starts creeping south the way these policies start to happen if a bad piece of legislation gets passed it doesn't help our community out well some of these other states as you all know will start to copycat and unfortunately because we're we are a minority uh, group as sportsmen uh, to include angling as well in that i mean sometimes our voice gets swept under the rug our concerns uh, but because we have this representation because we have people that are they're on their stuff and they're able to follow and track these these pieces of legislation that come up they give us all a voice and thank god for it yeah, and the only other thing that I would add is that that you know, and you know it because it starts with me, and we preach it throughout the organization. Is be honest brokers. We're not here to play partisan politics. Mm -hmm. That's the anathema of everything we stand for. We're here to 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 stand for our policies, and we won't shirk that. We won't back down from that. We won't make ex we won't apologize for anything. We're here for the policies. The political cards and how how some of the other folks may perceive those and use those, that's somebody else's uh, sort of lane and, and bandwidth. That is not ours. Ours is to represent the hunters, the anglers, the shooters, the trappers in the best possible way we can with anybody that's willing to listen to it and, you know, use that collective experience in the policy arena to make that voice amplified and hit way above punch, way above our weight class. Yeah. 
going back to earlier comment about people being put into certain categories and things of that nature, I think a lot of our community gets frustrated with how the process of, of legislation comes about, right? A lot of people that I talk to, and we're, we're in this because we're very wonky and this is what we do. So we, we have these conversations. People tend not to believe it. Like, you really sit around and talk about this? Yes, yes, we do. So, right. Um, the frustration sometimes, a lot of times, uh, really, is a piece of legislation will come out. It's a good bill. It's good for sportsmen. And then it gets corrupted somehow. Or another policymaker will, will, like you said, there's some politicking. There's some stuff going on that the community, the citizens of a, of a state, of a community, understand what's going on. And they, they feel like, are, are you using us as pawns in your game? Or are you advocating for us as a community? Are you doing what's best for, for conservation? Are you doing what's best for the resource in our state? And there's, there is a sense of frustration that's out there. We get to mitigate some of that, I think, by being kind of in between our communities and having that direct line. But that doesn't necessarily make that frustration go away. Have you experienced that? And, you know, how, how, What's the best way to go about that, you know, if you're giving uh, advice? So, so the reality is we work in the political arena um, and policies, as we try to lay them out, as we try to chart the strategic plan to move a bill or to move a regulatory thing, you know, constantly are subject to partisan politics, to different views to timing on things. This is, this is why, again, I harp back on all the experience that collectively this group of, of folks that work here at CSF have, because you understand, you know, the best laid plans in, in a policy environment don't always come to fruition. And you've got you've to be willing to, to think about, you know, is winning something, is getting, you know, seven yards on that first down a a win or not and you know it's a it's a it's a judgment call all the time and that's again why we try to keep people like you in a certain geographic area looking at certain states because you're more plugged into that same thing with taylor schmitz who runs federal policy he's up on the hill all the time you've got to have your pulse on that to be able to understand what are the political realities you know is there an appetite for that right now and in washington if you put a price tag a dollar sign on it uh the conservative republican side of things aren't gonna do it even if they agree with mm -hmm. what you want to have done so that becomes a political reality that helps define what is what is gonna be the realm of possible and you're, that constantly evolves that changes things happen that you know provide opportunities sometimes and sometimes can shoot you down and it's disappointing when that happens but you gotta dust yourself off and just like hunting and get back into it yeah. you know and keep on the trail and keep on the track and um it, it isn't an easy win. If it were, then all of this would be easy to do. And it's not. It's complex, but it underscores the need to have people that understand how policies get made, that understand who the who in those legislatures are your friends, where the challenges are coming from, and understands when the time is right to put mm. something. And um, that's that's the whole that's the whole ethos and the whole reason CSF is here is to have that expertise. And 
Do I get disappointed? Sure. Uh, there are times when you definitely do when you think things are lining out. Uh, and there are other times when you take the take those wins and um, people are not always going to be happy, but it is, is a judgment call unless you're in the middle of the, the fight. You're a Monday morning quarterback. Mm. Otherwise. Mm. It's a great explanation. I think it's important for folks in this audience to hear that uh, far and wide, kind of understand a little bit because, you know, I you have a situation where I'm, where I'm at where there's a, a great drumbeat for uh, right to hunt fish legislation. They want to do a constitutional amendment in New Hampshire, which is fantastic. What's not known to them is the process that, that is undertake, undertook, undertaken when you, you delve into that. They want to have it done, you know, yesterday, tomorrow, now kind of thing. You got to, it's weird, you know, being in this space and then having to reel that, that enthusiasm back just a little bit to break the process down. It's like, here's, here's the long game we're in for these reasons. And we tell them the reasons and then they, they're great about it, but it's just someone taking the time to explain the process and, you know, kind of what you just did just now explaining the, the, the some of the intricacies. It's just, I just don't think people are just that plugged in. They have so much going on in their lives, just trying to make it right now. I mean, it's, it's tough out there yeah. and, and people just don't have the time to devote to all of this. And, and, and again, that's, that's what we're here for. You know, it. Yeah. You took the job here because you provide to you that opportunity. You are wonky enough. You're interested enough. You want to get in there and be in those trenches. And people want to see you win, win the game. And that's what we're all in here to do. But, you know, you need to have a certain amount of experience to be in the on the field. Mm -hmm. and, and you need to help make folks understand. And they have to have some faith in all of us that we're we're really good at what we did. Yeah. We've had over a thousand policy wins in just the last five years alone. So our track record speaks volumes. Um, but you're not going to win every single one. Right. And if you rush something that's not ready, if your timing is off, if you don't have all of your ducks in a row, you know you stand a chance of losing it. Once you've lost something, it's pretty hard to come back around and mm. win that a second time around. So it's better to be a little more cautious, a little more prepared and win it in round one or whatever the analogy is mm -hmm. going to be than to have it, you know, have a loss, have to retool and try. And it's so important to drive that point home. Cause again, in, in a society where everything's here now, everything's on demand, this work is not on demand, unfortunately, you know, you're just not going to, you know, Uber eats you a good bill. It's just right. not going to work like that. It's not going to be delivered to your door, and it's going to take some yeoman's work to in relationships to make that happen. That still happens. Relationships, yeah, working together, and, and that and that man, that is that is the key. You know, again, reinforcing that ability to get to know those policymakers uh, in Congress, the staff um, that make a lot of these decisions. It's critically important to have those relationships. And again, to have that trust that, you know, you're doing this because this is what your policy objective, you're not trying to pull punches. You're not trying to, you're not trying to do something to, to have a gotcha moment for one political mm. party or the other. Cause the moment that happens, that trust gets eroded immediately. And you talk about a long time to mm. rebuild that kind of stuff. Sure. So, um, you know, we're about policy, not. I think for our, our advantage as well as, you know, our North Star 
is the science-based conservation, the consistency of that. And as, as we make decisions, as we engage, that's, there's a foundation there that, again, we already said it's bipartisan, but you just, you don't deviate from it. That's a constant. So no matter what side of the aisle you're on, just look to this. Right. Here's the science. This is how we're going to hit this head on. If it doesn't benefit the resource, if it's not good conservation, if it doesn't adhere to the North American model of conservation, don't thank you. Right. And that's, that's what I said earlier is, is that we don't back down. No. Um, you know, everybody knows where we're coming from. Even the people that are frankly oppose us mm-hmm. know where we're coming from because that North star is there, that, that there's no wavering, right. you know, the tactics and how you get there and who, who you use and some of the trade-offs that you have to, you know, have to do to sometimes get there. Um, that's the nuance of mm. where you're trying to go, but the policies always remain the same. And, and that's another aspect, the longevity of mm. us being here. They, people have had, you know, decades of knowing this is where CSF is coming from. This is where they're going to be. The administration may change. The Congress may change. State legislators may change. Governors may change. But there's a consistency. I like your analogy. The North Star is always there. We yeah. are on that. And we are not changing just because there's a political opportunity or, or a political threat out there as things change. Because in politics, that pendulum is constantly moving. Sure. It never is sitting dead on one side or the other, at least on national politics. I know in certain states, it's probably more inclined to do that. But at the national level, that pendulum swings. And if you stay true to who you are, who we represent, what we're trying to get accomplished, it makes it a lot easier to, to have that respect, to have that ability to walk through doors on both. It's a relief, truly. It really makes you breathe easy because you have that consistency. You have that, that standard self-imposed, and it makes all the sense. And, you know, when people are in, in 2023 constantly looking at analytics and what are the numbers here, what's your KPI on this, and they're constantly adjust, adjusting strategy and mission statements, and who are you? Like, who were you six months ago? Are you the same person? Right. And and by golly, we are yes. for decades. For decades. So in in those decades, is there anything that's happened that, is there anything that stands out that you didn't expect to happen, good or bad? Um, from the foundation part of things, um, I always, always envisioned that this state-based element was going to be, you know, a critical component. I think I'm I'm extremely pleasantly surprised. Well, maybe not surprised, but but just more relieved that it has turned out to be everything that I thought it could be uh, in the face of some of the naysayers in the early days and more. You know, um, out of that a thousand policy wins stat that I that I gave you that you're familiar with, almost all of those are at the state level. Um, there's only one Congress. So far in this year, and granted it's a divided Congress, only eight eight policy bills have passed the United States Congress and been signed into law by the president. We're nine months into the year. That's hmm. that's one a month, you know. You guys collectively in the state program team here are tracking somewhere around seven thousand bills during the policy session. That's got huge power. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, it's easy to focus on 
Washington, we're named the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation because of our, our origins and ties to that early caucus. But the, the exciting part, the visionary part that has come really to fruition is, is how huge that state-based effort is, is and the dividends it's paid to date and what it's going to pay into the future. I'm curious, what, what were the naysayers, you don't have to name them, obviously, but what would they say? Like, what was the knock on such a vision? Too, you're, it's too complicated. It's too big. There were efforts to try to do it, you know, before and get legislators, you know, individually to join into some, some bigger thing. And, and um, I think the keys to the success were we were going to do it state by state. Um, each state was going to have their own caucus that was going to have their own leadership that they selected. And we set criteria around that as to what we suggested to build it. And then, you know, this idea that we were going to put it all under the umbrella Guys were like, these state guys aren't going to listen to, you know, some umbrella. Well, the smart part of that was we asked legislators from day one what they thought we created, as you know, an executive committee mm -hmm. made up of only legislators that are selected from the, the larger bodies to represent all the states. That buy-in, it's legislators have a have a real vested interest in the success of the program. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a really smart early day thing that is proving dividends. So yeah, I just don't think the naysayers, they looked at the elephant and said, how are we going to, how are we going to eat this? Sure. And I looked at the elephant and said, we're going to start here and we're going to yep, work yep. our way. And 18 years later, you know, we got that thing pretty well eat. Yeah, fantastic. So yeah. So, yeah and you can see. In, in my brief time here, part of the team, you know, it's seen that enthusiasm from our, our state level uh, members and the EC, our executive committee, uh, our president, Je uh, Representative Jeff Goley, who's in my state in New Hampshire. I get to talk to him quite a bit and there's great enthusiasm and we're going to have our, uh, our summit, our annual summit coming up in December. And it's seems like it's going to be very well attended. People are excited, you know, to, to register and come and, you know, be together. So yeah, it's, it's a whole different side, um, what am I trying to say here, of our community that often you don't, you don't get to see it so much or hear about it, right? I mean, the membership-based organizations that we, we partner with that I come from, you see it at the volunteer level, the grassroots level, and you see and feel that enthusiasm. But as far as the people that are making, making decisions on our behalf or putting good, good policy out there on the table and then working it through, um, they, they often, you don't get to see them. So I think it's, I think it's really neat that they, they have their place, you know, they have their, their membership and they're plugged in. And, and the more we get to talk to them and introduce them and bring them on programs like this and give them some limelight, it would, it would really be neat to see, you know, their constituents working with them and being together with them in the same space, not just some, you know, lofty idea of this person's here in a chair and, and they're pulling a, a, a select, a select lever lever. Yeah. And, and, you know, what you just said is next phase. This is part of the next phase to how do we, how do we make this stronger? How do we connect this more? How do we, how do we tell the story better? Um, this is all part of the next iteration mm -hmm. of where that growth for CSF and, um, where that growth for, for our caucuses federally and at the state level are, are hopefully going to go. And, and. Now, this is 
this is getting that more of a connection to to the everyday hunter and angler out there as to as to how important this is and what what can they do to to perhaps get involved in their own state if you want to take that first bite at your elephant right is that involvement you know and what what can you do to help with the process and i think people are overwhelmed by it it's complex you know it's it's far away it's it's so much negative publicity on mainstream media Mm -hmm. about everything you know and politics and it's just almost a dirty word and Yet at the same time, these are the very laws and the establishments that govern our country. And, uh, you know, you better be in, in the game if you want things to go favorably. And CSF is certainly, we're right at the tip of the spear for the sporting hmm. community and being in that game to work within the system to try to affect positive outcomes for all of us. It's, you can't say it any louder, any better. People, really need to have a vested interest and in, in become involved. And there's just so many distractions literally at our fingertips. And it's, it's a function of progress. It's a function of technology, but you know, also this isn't, this isn't our space to talk about, but I'll just throw it out there. You got kids coming out of high school that can't pass a basic civics test. They don't know how government works. They, you have people immigrating the right way into our country that have to pass a test and know more than our own citizenry. And that's pretty disappointing. So it's, it could be a pretty big elephant, like you said, in your own state, just to get them involved in, in, in sportsman's legislation. Never mind, you know, the, the, um, school of rock, how, what's a bill or how does a bill, get, that's what I think yeah. it'll bill on the right. Capitol steps, right. yeah. school of house rock. And yeah. like, right. they, that's not even put out there. So it's, it has a. It is yeah. a climb. It is, you know, and I know you're going to save it for uh, a future podcast, but the development of our collegiate sporting mm-hmm. sportsmen's and women's coalition is, is an effort to take some of what we know and explain it not only just as a civics lesson, but to introduce you how it really works. Because mm-hmm. textbooks are great. Videos are great. You're never going to learn how to do this until you try. Yeah, right. And until you've been in into the game, and then you one, you'll get a heck of a better appreciation on, you know, this is complicated, and things come up, and it is a uh, a dynamic that is constantly moving and changing, and there are deadlines if if you know sessions are going to adjourn or or you know crossover period in the states, and so you know. Things happen sometimes well into the night, you know, and, and, you know, you better be there if you expect to have your policy priorities in the, in the game. So as you're, as you're talking, you know, I have this thought that there's a human element, there is a human element to all this, but there's a really human element when you, when you're face to face with these, with these people, the people that we work with, you know, it's real easy to sling arrows on social media one one opinion or another but when you actually get in the space of somebody you're sitting face to face with another human being that you know you may have a problem with and then you find out they're just they're people and you got the same interest all of a sudden and i've i've experienced this myself in my in my um my experiences that you know i might have thought one way about an individual and then i sat down with them as they like the same things i do and it wasn't so easy to sling an arrow because now there's there's a human element to it there's there's, there's people they have they have feelings, they have thought process, and, and maybe it's just not so binary that they're, you know, there's this 
tinfoil hat cabal out there working against me is just have a conversation. And then you come away like, I'm going to turkey hunt with this individual or, you know, go shoot some grouse. And, you know, there's always that fine line between opportunity to introduce somebody, to educate somebody about this, this kind of stuff. And, you know, what are you really going to swing them around if they're really hard, hard against our positions on stuff? But that civility and, and that consistency that what we talk about in the policy arena, I think, serves us extremely well, uh, no matter which party's in power. Mm. Um, we're going to be at a table having a conversation because we do r- recognize that civility actually works a lot better than, than you know, this this city kind of stuff yeah. on the side, you know? And so I think that that, that is again, part of the culture here is have the conversation, you know, if they're, they're not going to agree to do it, you can disagree with them on their policy stuff. doesn't make them a bad person. Right. Maybe uninformed, uh, maybe unenlightened. Right, right, right. <laughs> sure. But, but, you know, remember where that line is drawn. You know? so. Big election cycle coming up, 2024, any, thoughts there priorities is there any ramifications good or bad for us yeah there's always i mean always ramifications for every political cycle i think the the most fundamental one is um for all of us that have relationships with members in the congress or members in the state legislature or you know in the administration here and governor's office is you know change change you've got to be adaptive to change um sometimes you lose really good champions and really good friends and allies and that's hard sometimes somebody goes out that's been a a nemesis and that is always opposed where you've been and that's an opportunity Uh, but whatever it is it comes back to the messaging being the same um you know we we do be in a C3 nonprofit, we don't, cannot involve ourselves right. in, in any kind of campaign politics. So we're kind of like a player sitting at a table, the cards are dealt, we pick them up and look at them and, and, you know, and then we decide how we can apply from there. And so, um, but the, my personal view is there's always opportunity there. You yeah. know, um, some people get very uh, concerned about what does it mean for the future of hunting if this party or this party or this candidate or this candidate. There are some that are going to be more aligned to what we want. That's always nice if they end up in the power spot. Uh, but you got to be prepared for when they don't and have a game plan. And that's where I think, again, CSF's got a long track record of showing sure we can work, you know, we'll, regardless of what comes up uh, on an election cycle. Yeah, no, it's great. And I mean, again, I'd be remiss to not bring it up. It's uh, we're literally here in the heartbeat of it all. So, um, and it's going to happen at our state levels, but it goes back to the point of, you know, find the time to be involved, pick up a a newspaper, however you do it, whether it's in your hands or, you know, you're scrolling through it at some point in your day, just be involved. And we, you know, we got this podcast now. We have our, our uh, Sportsman's Voice e-publication that goes out. Anyone can go on our website and subscribe to that. There's great stuff in that. Every uh, beginning um, of every program here, we do a TSV roundup. So before our guests come in, I, I do a little five, six-minute, here's what happened last week while we were not published, um, and keep people up to date, up to date on those happenings. So 
know, there's great resources out there and people can tap into them. And like you said, it takes five minutes, you know, and you don't have to look at it every week, but have something at your fingertips that you can look at, something interests you, you open it up and read more about it, you know? So, um, it doesn't hurt to keep involved, you know? Yeah, I mean, because it... And informed, I guess, not involved, informed about stuff. No, it's a passive involvement. I think you're sure. you're right. I mean, just just having a working knowledge of what's happening, you know, can you use game cameras in your state anymore? Right. You know? The, yeah. Some people just don't know when yeah. these things are happening on right. the ground. Uh, that's that's a respect incumbent upon us as a community to be responsible and know what's going on. And, you know, all of a sudden you go out there and you want to go reap a turkey and oh, turkey reaping is not legal in your state anymore. Right. Hey. Can't believe anyone but yourself, right? Uh, looking forward as we're as we come to the conclusion of our our session here. Any big big goals on the horizon we can talk about? Anything that really stands out for our organization or just for our community as a whole that we have a hand in? So organizationally, uh, again, and is is sort of our strategic plan is to build upon the success. Um, create more capacity especially at the at the state level but also at the federal level um we're trying to build out on policy expertise uh within the organization we've got chris horton who is our senior director for all fisheries policy you know we're talking about forestry policy ag policy uh firearms policy if we can build out these areas of expertise we can expand the number of people that are working in under the state program team. So instead of you having to cover five states, you could cover two. Uh, these are sort of the internal strategic uh, efforts and the vision for where we're trying to go. Um, I think I think I'm not a doom and gloom guy in terms of the future of hunting and and fishing, but um, you know it's better to be prepared and uh. it's better to be engaged, and it's the reason that this organization is here. Um, you know, clearly we've got challenges with uh, recruitment and you know combating the the all the, the instant gratification of all the electronic stuff in today's day and age um, with sitting in a tree stand and watching squirrels all afternoon, <laughs> you know? And, um, but but um, I, I still think there's great opportunities here and, and uh, you know, little things like the locavore movements and healthy meat and stuff um, are, are playing out in their own separate ways. So uh, I'm an optimist uh, by and large. And so... Um, we got to stay at it collectively as an entire community, and we're thankful for all the membership organizations for uh, continuing to bring people into their fold, to have their youth programs, their, their women in the outdoors, the, the amount of stuff that they engage in, and on-the-ground conservation that's critically important to, to identifying and seeing things that, that you can relate to. Um, meanwhile, we'll, we'll keep writing in the trenches for the policy web. Yeah, for sure. No, I appreciate your optimism. And, you know, I, I probably a topic for another podcast, probably. Um, but, you know, in our own community, we, we kind of split each other off, which, you know, you said we have recruitment challenges. That's, that's a fact. Yeah. Uh, our, our participation numbers continue to, to go down, which is, there's a, a myriad of, of reasons for that. One I, I talked about, you know, that, 
college age demo of just not continuing through. Once I get to college, I, I hit that in the TSV roundup. But what we don't want to do is the people that we have, our community now, our active community, is to work against each other. You know, I, you think about R three, and there's a whole community within our community that is anti R three because there's land access issues throughout most of the country. Right. And well, so we bring all these people in. Where are we going to put them? Are they going to be in my hunting spot? Well, not in my hunting spot, right? So there's there's all these ideas, and they, I guess the, the point I'm trying to make is, is is being optimistic and working together and, and trying to find a way to make that work because if you don't have a population, if we don't exist, then n- neither is the rest of this, and everything kind of goes away, and especially if you don't have uh, an amendment in your state constitution that guarantees the right to to hunt in the traditional methods and, and angle and fish. Just go away. And you just well, have it. Let, let, let's remember, Oregon. Oregon had a ballot initiative that they withdrew uh, that would have banned hunting and fishing across mm-hmm. the entire state. That's right. It's very likely that we, we could see that again in Oregon and the twenty-four ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are real threats. We kind of assume uh, hunting and fishing is going to be there. It's always been there. It comes from colonial days and pre-colonial days. Um, when people had to feed themselves, you know, and, and, uh, I just, I think, you know, with the way the world's changing, let's take an ounce of prevention, get these constitutional amendments. It's one of our key priorities. We've been, uh, a driver behind the successful efforts for 20 plus years and trying to get constitutional amendments passed. So, um, CSF is at the forefront of, of that battle and, and will remain so. But yeah, I, I think, you know, there is a danger on just kind of sitting back and thinking, well, as long as I've got my little place to go hunt and fish in and uh, I'm going to be fine and I'm going to take my kids and grandkids and they're going to be fine. Well, you know, that, that's, that's not real smart. Uh, and, you know, we look at the the, the sort of the five percent or so of the populations that's pro hunting, the five or so percent that's rabidly anti hunting, that leaves a huge sector in the middle. And we've got to continue as a community, not just at CSF, to make sure that hunting is done ethically, fair chase, with rules and regulations that the general public can understand why we do it, even if they're never going to do it. Because if that balance tips, right. Then, then, you know, really catastrophic things could happen to the future of hunting and, and, and fishing. I mean, the Oregon ballot initiative mm-hmm. was going to ban all fishing. Right. So um, threats are real. All the more reason why mm-hmm. you and I sit here every day doing this stuff because we, you know. There's an interesting dynamic at play, I think, that's working itself out in real time. As we as mentioned COVID earlier and the, the silver lining that, uh, it had for our community and getting people outdoors again and reconnecting with, with dirt and, and fish and game and really just enjoying being human and <laughs> doing what's in our DNA. Uh, with COVID, though, you had population densities move to different spaces where they were maybe didn't have the lockdowns or the face masking. They just places where they felt more free. I personally think it's going to be very interesting to see how those populations that moved from uh, places like maybe out in California that aren't as sportsman's friendly uh, in, in some of their locales. And as they spread to places that were more traditional for our, our community, what does that look like? And, and I think that's going to play itself out in a couple election cycles here, you know, every four or every two years. And 
what does that bear out? And you talk about that, that middle 80, 90%, where, where do they, where do they lie? Are they going to be indifferent to it or are they going to start bringing bad policy, bad, bad ideas with them to places where, where they did? Like jokingly, I, I say this in New Hampshire, you know, we say, we have a saying like, if you're coming from Massachusetts to move to New Hampshire, don't mass it up. Right. Badly. I've seen the don't California That's right. Wyoming. That's right. You know, and, and, you know, there's a grain of truth to that. You know, why are you leaving the place that you came from to move to somewhere else? And, you know, um, maybe it's worth taking a little bit of time and appreciating how the people that live in your newfound place have built their community, built that state up and take, take time to, to think about what their core principles are. Maybe they're not so. Yeah. Give a second thought to assimilating to the place you're moving to and not, not bringing the stuff you're escaping, right? Jeff, it's been a pleasure. That's a fast hour, and uh, I'll keep to our schedule here. Selfishly, I could keep talking more, but thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks for, uh, for, for giving this Sportsman's Voice a voice, the, the podcast, and greenlighting this project. We're very much looking forward to bringing more great conversations. Um, banquet week. Have a great banquet. We're looking forward to it. Um, on our Wednesday night, this, this podcast will drop Thursday. So as, as Jeff said earlier in the program, uh, you'll hear, you, you will hear this for the first time on Thursday. We will have already had our fantastic evening of celebration and, and hopefully I can update you with, uh, the listening audience with some great news and, and updates on, on that event. So thank you, sir, for your leadership. And, uh, again, thanks for the conversation. Well, enjoy being here. I'll be on anytime you want it. And Keep it going. Good luck with this. Yes, sir, you bet. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us and having us along for your day, wherever you're at. Thank you again to our, our present CEO, Jeff Crane, for joining us and sitting down. It is a busy week here in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Like we said, uh, we have our, our annual CSF banquet, so that is taking the, uh, much of the staff's attention this week to put on a really good show for our our partners for our members and uh just have a really great evening of, of celebrating and, and some fundraising as well because we gotta pay to keep the lights on so as we said you guys can go onto our website you can subscribe to the sportsman's voice epub we encourage you to do that stay up to date with all things happening capitol hill uh items happening in the backyards where you guys live in your state it's just valuable information and, and knowledge is power, right? So like the like we say, from the beltway to the policy happening your way, uh, we're keeping you informed that that's, that's our aim and uh, our goal here. So um, that's it. That's it for this show. We will do it again very soon. And uh, thanks for the support, guys. Don't forget to like, subscribe, hit those five stars, spread it around to your friends, take this episode, put it in your social feeds. It, it just, it helps so much, you know, and we can help beat those algorithms there the more you guys interact with it so that there's a gamesmanship to it. So it is what it is. But uh, until next time, guys, thanks so much. We appreciate the support and having us along. Take care of each other. Thanks for joining us on this edition of the Sportsman's Voice podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, your support is crucial and you can help us out right now by leaving a review filling in those five stars where available, sharing this episode with friends and family, and engaging with us socially. CSF can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and X, formerly known as Twitter. Together, 
We can protect the outdoor sports we love and continue to keep you informed wherever you are. That's it for this week. Until next time, we'll see you later.